0: Welcome, everybody. We're doing another of our overviews of biblical books. As in our previous episode, the aim is to fit the book into the biblical story, to examine the structure, identify the themes that we find in the book, and hopefully, Layer a structure out so that you can read it for yourself and get some value out of these amazing books that we find in the Bible. We want to try and understand what the authors are trying to communicate and this time we're looking at Leviticus. So, Paul. I have Paul here with me. Hi, Lawrence. Why would we spend time looking at this book? It seems like the contents may be irrelevant to us today and from a completely different world. It is, isn't it? It's uh, as you
1: kind of read through. We've done Genesis. We've done something on Exodus. And, you know, there's some good stories in there. And then you hit Leviticus and you think this is just so disconnected from my day to day life. It's it's just from a different planet, almost. What what am I doing reading this? But it is actually part of the storyline. It appears where it does for a reason, as as I think we'll see. And the reason it is where it is has some relevance to the the human story, and Leviticus plays a part in that as well. We just maybe have to dig a little bit deeper and, and harder to to find that.
0: Okay, we like a challenge here on Bible Feed Podcast, so. Where does Leviticus fit in the storyline? Okay, so I've kind of already given
1: that away, haven't I? With uh, We've done Genesis, we've done Exodus, we've done you know the first book, the second book. Leviticus is the third book of the Bible. Not just the third book of the Bible, it's the third book of the collection of books that are five books that are known as the Torah, the books of Moses, the Pentateuch, and that's, that's where Leviticus sits as so the third book of, of that group
0: of five. So I remember when we looked at Exodus, Paul, we finished, didn't we? With that beautiful section at the end where the tabernacle has been built and the glory of God descends, and that juxtaposition of the problem where Moses is not able to enter. How do we follow on from from that that cliffhanger?
1: Yeah, and if we're making the claim that Leviticus is is carrying on the storyline, you'd expect it to to address that question, that problem. What does Moses have to do to enter? the tent this place where god and and human beings can come together how can moses enter that and leviticus does seem to address that question and 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 the whole issue of god partnering with with human beings even though human beings keep just going off and doing their own thing and the connection between exodus and, and leviticus is is there right at the beginning of the book of leviticus so we finished exodus with that tent uh, with the cloud over it moses is not able to enter And it begins, Leviticus 1 verse 1, The Lord called Moses and spoke to him from the tent of meeting. So it seems like it's now going to address that question. And in fact, the book of Leviticus in the Hebrew Bible is is called Vayikra, or something like that in Hebrew. The names of the Hebrew books are often the first couple of words of of the book. And so that's what it is. He called, or, or God called. We have it called Leviticus, which is a Latin word, which means to do with the Levites. It seems to start out trying to answer that question, but it's not particularly clear how it's answering that question because you immediately get into lots
0: of dull stuff about sacrifices, rituals, purity laws, and things like that. Mm. Okay, we mentioned where was it in the storyline of these books, and you've mentioned some of those fascinating sections like, you know, a list of sacrifices to make and how many bulls and rams, etc. to use in rituals and purity laws. Doesn't seem to be a lot of storytelling in that, Paul. Not sure what you read to your children when they were just about to go to sleep, but it it didn't seem a lot of storytelling here.
1: No, when you think of the biblical storyline or the narrative, there isn't really that coming through much. There is a little bit. There's some little accounts of the priests behaving badly. But as we shall see when we go through the structure of the of the book, it's really carefully interwoven and structured and compiled in this final form that we have in a really careful way, which I think is pointing our attention to something in particular and pointing our attention to something that's really relevant to that human story. So, I think it's really important to try and understand what it's communicating, not just as a single book standalone, but in the context of the Torah, the five books and where it sits in that, in that storyline.
0: Well, let's get on to the structure now then. If you were given the task and you have been given the task to, to understand the structure of this book, how would you, how would you define the structure?
1: Okay. So we've got, I think we've got eight sections and these are sort of delineated by most of the commentaries and outlines. So they're pretty clear sections and the subject matter changes across these sections and these chapters. And as we go into it, we have the Lord calling Moses and speaking to him at the beginning. And then it goes straight into when somebody wants to make an offering, this is what they should do. And it describes a a burnt offering. And what they should do at the altar what they should do with the blood what they should do with different parts of the of the carcass and, and and which parts of it the priests the levites should receive so you've got seven chapters in total in this first section of descriptions
0: of sacrifices okay the first section then sacrifices and 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 what what are these sacrifices and what are they for well there's essentially four
1: different types of um Of offerings, So the first one, it's often called the burnt offering. And it's all about a a person associating themselves with an animal that's going to be sacrificed and and sort of using that as an expression of their dedication, the whole of their life, their person being dedicated to God. So it's it's a sacrifice to do with dedication. And then chapter two is about grain offerings. And they are to do with flour and oil and certain quantities. And they're burnt and they're offered. And some of it goes to the priest's. And that's more about a thanks offering. So that might be, uh, you know, the f- offering of the first fruits of the harvest in in thanks. It's actually the the word that's used for that second one in chapter two is is korban. So if you're familiar with where that appears in the New mm-hmm. Testament in a conversation that Jesus has with with the Pharisees, that's what it's talking about. This this kind of offering, the second one in Leviticus chapter two, and then chapter three. There's peace offerings and. They're more about a celebration of friendship or fellowship. They're sometimes called fellowship offerings. So both of those, the second one and the third one, somebody offers when they feel moved to make that offering of of thanks or of celebration or or of fellowship. The fourth one is in chapter four, and that's to do with sin offerings. And it says at the beginning of chapter four, the Lord spoke to Moses saying, speak to the people of Israel saying, if anyone sins unintentionally in any of the Lord's commandments – and then it describes what what the offering should be. And there's actually four different offerings, depending on whether you're a high priest or you're a member of the congregation or a leader of the people, and, and so on. So there's those those sin offerings for for unintentional sins.
0: So it's kind of seeking forgiveness for something that you've done. Yeah, okay. Yeah.
1: But it wasn't premeditated. It wasn't you know a deliberate rebellion against the law of God.
0: Okay. So that's the first seven chapters. It's about yeah. sacrifices of those varying different types. You know, we could spend a long time looking at that and it's very far from our lived experience of mm. worship, isn't it? Like yeah. all of these these yeah. physical offerings. So, what's the next section? Next section is three chapters, chapters 8 to 10, and it and it shifts the
1: focus away from those sacrifices and offerings in different circumstances and onto the priests. And it's all about Aaron taking his sons his four sons and getting them all set up taking them through an induction course on uh, getting them ready to fulfill this role as priests and to make sure they've got the, the right dress code and they're suitably prepared and ritually clean and and they go through a, a practice run of all the different offerings as part of ordaining them as priests so that's chapters 8 and nine and then chapter 10 two of the sons of Aaron having, been through the course and been taught how to make all the offerings and you know what to do and what not to do they go and use the wrong sort of fire on on the altar and they do it wrong and it's not stated explicitly but it seems as though they may well have been under the influence of drink as they decided yeah whatever we've just learned as to how we should do all this thing and approach god we're not going to pay that due respect and and just do what we like. So, and as a result, these two sons, Nadab and Abihu, they they are killed. They die in the tabernacle, in the tent, and that's the second section.
0: Right. That seems like uh, seems harsh. You know, you've got these two new priests that have just finished their training course, maybe under the influence, but then die as a result of maybe making a mistake on the fire. Is that is it right to think of that as being a harsh decision? Well, it seems it, but when you think about
1: what's gone before, we've had this sort of repeating pattern, Adam and Eve in the garden, prepared and given everything that they need, they break the law that God gave them. Then in Exodus, we had the people brought out of the land, God has provided everything for them in the wilderness, and then they go and make this golden calf, and it all comes, you know, the relationship is damaged uh, as a result. And, And this is following the same pattern, really. There's all this detail intricate detail about you've prepared, you've got all the right garments, you've got all the right animals all doing things all in the right order, you've been through it and then they deliberately do do something that that is is just doing their own thing, disrespecting God's way. and, and so it, it's just a it's just a repeating of that pattern. So yes it sounds harsh, but it's just it's absolutely in keeping with with the pattern that we've seen unfolding in in the narrative so far and you're left again with this question. How is God going to continue to dwell with, work with this people that seems intent on just doing their own thing?
0: Okay. It's got deep really quick there, Paul. So with that, we've come to the end of the second section and you've talked about yep. eight sections. So the third section, I presume, is yep. the next section. Look at me with the map.
1: It, it is very What's good. Next? Yeah. Chapters 11 to 15. And, and here it gets really legalistic, legal. It's all about unclean animals, what you can eat, what you can't eat, not touching dead bodies and it's about uncleanness that arises from things like childbirth skin diseases bodily discharges yeah it doesn't really hold back mm. in the way things are described here and it's all about the things that make a man or a woman impure unclean and unable therefore to participate in the the, the ritual and the worship
0: of the of the community and and how does that then get resolved so how do they become clean again so in each of those situations whether it's to do with you know
1: unclean animals or touching a carcass uh, or those skin diseases and and so on they're resolved by making an offering that is specified and then there's a period of waiting or it might be just to the evening of that day or it might be for seven days and then after that period the person is clean again and is able
0: to rejoin the the community activities and and worship and so on seems simple seems straightforward Mm -hmm. So that's the third section now we're on to the fourth section what's the fourth section
1: yeah so the fourth section is the middle of the book. Really, it's all about the Day of Atonement. So it's chapter sixteen and seventeen, and it's all about this this one day in the year called the Day of Atonement. And what does that involve? So this is this is the high priest's busy day, as <laughs> uh, as you might call it. You know, everybody else is not allowed to do any any work, but the high priest is doing loads of work on this day, and he offers a bull that's kind of a sin offering for himself. And then there's this offering that constitutes two goats that are that are taken. And one of them is offered as a sacrifice. And the blood is sprinkled um, and the blood is taken into, the high priest takes the blood of this offering into the tabernacle itself, into the holy place, and actually goes into the most holy place where the Ark of the Covenant w- was uh, was put. So this is the only day in which anybody... From the people of Israel goes into that chamber where the Ark of the Covenant is. It's the only time in the ritual calendar of the year. It's the only time and so the high priest goes in there with this with his blood and sprinkles it and so on. And then the second goat isn't killed, but it, there's there's a, a placing of the of the sins, the transgressions of the people collectively placed on this goat and the goat is sent off out of the camp into the wilderness somewhere, carrying the sins of the people away from them. And so you know, the whole thing is about cleansing of the people and cleansing of the sanctuary from all that might get in the way of the, the relationship between God and the people.
0: Excellent. And I presume that's where we get the phrase scapegoat from, that idea of, it, of
1: this. It, it is. And, and we'll, we'll come back and look at that and think
0: about well, what exactly that might mean. Yeah. So in, in maybe that's another podcast series yeah. like common phrases that we use which have come <laughs> from the Bible. Yeah. So anyway, yeah. so we've got this central section here, the Day of Atonement section when it's the High Priest busy day. Okay, so that's section four. What's section five? Yeah,
1: so section five is another section about impurities. So kind of either side of that Day of Atonement all about cleansing You've got sections that are about impurities. But this time, they're a lot more serious. So this is chapters 18 to 20. And I think we'd call this section that it's to do with moral impurities. So it's all about sexual immorality. It's about people making decisions to worship idols. And often in association with worship of idols, there is either immorality or even child sacrifice. So that those sort of abominable Behaviors that represent a moral failing of of the people
0: that are choosing to do that. And before, in the impurities section, you told us about the offerings that they they made in order to become clean again. Do we see any here? Well, that's what is different about this kind of impurity. There is
1: there is no offering described. the The only solution that's given is don't do it. Right and okay. and. Because if you do follow those practices of immorality and idolatry and child sacrifice and bloodshed and and murder and so on, then you're actually behaving in a way that is just like the Canaanites who were in the land before you and that you displaced. And if you behave like them, then the same thing will happen to you. You know, expulsion from the land will happen. And, you know, there's a little bit of a kick forward as a prophetic element to it in that that is exactly what happened with Israel later in their history. So there's no
0: offerings for that. So it's basically it's impurities, but basically keep away from them because things are going to go sideways if you do yeah. this stuff. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Okay. So that's section five. Section six. So here we are, section six, and we're
1: back with the priests again. And this little section is about what qualifies you to be a priest, and 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 how you should remain holy and set apart for that role in the congregation. Okay. So
0: holiness of priests is is described. And what chapters were they? So that's chapters 21 and 22. And after that, I presume we get chapter 23. So that's another section. Yeah. So we're into the seventh section now, and that's
1: chapters 23 to 25, which is, is a description of Feasts and and gatherings and festivals throughout the, the annual calendar And it describes seven feasts at which certain offerings and rituals were to be made Through the annual cycle for the, the, the people of Israel More or less follows the agricultural
0: cycle of, of the people And that's chapters 23 and 25 Okay, and we get to section 8 then in my, with my maths And what's that about? That's the final one
1: yeah, so this is the final one. And and I'd kind of put this one as a separate, you know, kind of treat it separately. We've got one to seven, which is covering certain material, and then we've got this final couple of chapters, which is really about calling on the people to be faithful to the covenant. Um, but it includes a section that talks about if you are faithful to the covenant, you'll be blessed, you'll be prosperous, you'll You'll be able to live in peace, live your lives out in, in peace. And there's a little bit about that and it's quite short. And then there's a, but if you don't, then all these terrible things are going to happen to you and there'll be famines and your enemies will invade and overthrow you and and ultimately be taken out of the land. So in chapter 26 in particular, there's a long list of, of, of things that, that can go wrong. So it, it almost, as I said before, it almost presumes that that's the situation that's going to unfold. They're not going to be faithful to the covenant. And uh, and even talks about some of the things that would happen once they had been expelled from the land, which uh, which did happen later in their in their history. So we can kind of treat that one separately. But now that we've covered all of the sections, the, the eight sections in Leviticus, and we've got seven sections that, that form the body of it, and then that last section as a call to, to faithfulness, now that we've covered them all and, and you, Lawrence, with the benefit of, of seeing them written down in the notes, what what can you
0: see in that as, as a pattern? Okay. Yeah, absolutely not because it's been just been seen in the notes. I obviously knew this before. <laughs> uh, but yeah, it's it's clear that we have a correlation between the first and the last. So you've helpfully in the notes used the same words so that to even yeah. even somebody like me can identify them. So section one is ritual sacrifices and section seven is ritual feasts. And then as you go inwards towards what you were talking about as being the center of the book, you've got priests ordained in section two and and qualifications of priests in section six. And then as you get closer to the center, you get ritual impurities in section three, and then you get moral impurities in section five. And then boom, in the middle, we have the day of atonement. So I presume that's the point you want to make. <laughs> absolutely. Yeah.
1: So we've got this, it's sometimes called a chiastic structure, which is a sort of a mirror image or like a V-shape where the outer parts match, and and then you get a point in the center that is the, is the focal point that it's leading you towards, and it's the Day of Atonement. So it's right there in the middle of the Book of Leviticus, you've got this Day of Atonement, which we've said a little bit about. But it's also interesting, and I'll just mention it, I haven't particularly studied this, but we've got five books in the Torah. And the middle book is Leviticus. And right in the middle of the middle book mm-hmm. in this chiastic stru- structure in Leviticus is the Day of Atonement. So it seems like whether it's just Leviticus or the whole collection of five books, we're being pointed to the Day of Atonement as as telling us something, something critical, which I think is fascinating. Mm. Um, but I'll just leave that with you to go and think about it. But it's obviously pointing us to that thing which is telling us something really important about relationships between humans and God and we'll say something about that in a bit.
0: Yeah, interesting. I did some reading in the last couple of weeks and it and it linked the end of Deuteronomy with the beginning of Genesis. So you have the wilderness, blessings and cursings and going into a new Eden, going into the promised land with Genesis. So if, if your chiasm thing is right, then maybe it is pointing us towards the Day of Atonement. So let's, let's see if we can dig a little deeper. So what themes do we find? So if we were reading this, we've obviously got that structure and we've got that structure that's pointing to the Day of Atonement, but what themes do we see? Okay, so
1: we'll talk about the Day of Atonement in a bit and just pull something out, out of that, which I think is, is fascinating. But before looking at that, either side of the Day of Atonement, we've got these two sections that are about impurities and uncleanness. And so we've got these ritual impurities in the section just before the Day of Atonement. And, and the characteristics of these are to do with natural situations. They're not something that that you can avoid. You can't avoid being born. You can't avoid childbirth. You can't necessarily avoid touching a, a carcass when you're preparing a carcass or butchering it for, for food. And so there are all these things associated with essentially with death or corruption or with reproduction and, the, and all things associated with mortality of human beings. And you know if you become unclean because you've touched the dead carcass of something, it, it's not a sin. It's not described as sinful, and it's not a permanent problem. For a period, you can't participate in the worship, but then you make the offering, wait the period of time, and, and you're back in again. So that's the characteristic of those ritual impurities, all to do with just being mortal and a human being. And then you've got these moral impurities, which are very different. They're about conscious decisions to commit adultery or do something immoral or to worship something else other than God or to shed blood. And those are sins. There's no offering for them. They defile the sinner and and they defile the land is the way it's described. And and that's why the result is is expulsion. So they're very different. But actually, I find that resonates quite well with how we might think about sin and what it is in, in what it might be in our lives that, you know, we often feel like we fail and we're weak and we don't have enough energy to do everything we want to do. And that's just part of being mortal. It's not a sin. It's just a part of being a human being that is is a bit weak and feeble at times and and so those ritual is kind of expressing that yeah you've got this weakness and it means we can't we can't be like god we can't have this full relationship with god while we're in this mortal state but it's not a sin it's just a state of being if you like and then you've got those conscious decisions to do really bad things and yeah, those are sins. And if you do that and you just go that way and then that is breaking and damaging the relationship with God in a way that, that can't be can't be healed. And so that I think is an interesting way of thinking about those impurities, which as you read them, it's pretty dry and dull, but actually is saying something quite helpful about what we are as human beings and, and what God is interested from us.
0: So we can cast forward these elements of this what we could describe as a dry book into our own kind of lived experience now, and yeah. okay. So maybe you mentioned you wanted to have a a word about the the Day of Atonement as well, and the themes that we can draw from that.
1: Yeah, let's have a think about the Day of Atonement. Now, there's there's so much going on in the High Priest's busy day that we're just going to pick out one or two points. So we we described this, this offering with the two goats and the way it's talked about the way it's described is it's one offering but it's got these two animals involved these two goats involved so that's really interesting in itself in that it's one offering but it's achieving two things there is a sacrifice there's a death of one of the goats and and its blood is taken and sprinkled and so on and then there's the other goat that carries away the sins um and that's really interesting right right from there, you can start to think, okay, I can see that might be pointing to somebody who makes one offering, but it achieves multiple things and, and it achieves the forgiveness, the carrying away of sins. One of them, the one that has its blood sprinkled in the, in the holy place and, and taken into the tent, is then the, the carcass of that goat is then burned outside the camp. So it's taken away from the Israelites and it's burned outside the camp. Now, let's just have a look at some words in the letter to the Hebrews, which talks exactly about that situation. So in Hebrews chapter 13, and we want to read from verse 10, Hebrews 13, verse 10 to 13.
0: We have an, we have an altar from which those who serve the tent have no right to eat. For the bodies of those animals whose blood is brought into the holy places by the high priest as a sacrifice for sin, are burned outside the camp. So Jesus also suffered outside the gate in order to sanctify the people through his own blood. Therefore, let us go to him outside the camp and bear the reproach he endured. So it's referring to that exact
1: situation that happened on the Day of Atonement. The blood of that sacrifice was taken into the holy places. Now, normally for the sin offering, that didn't happen. But on this occasion, it does. And the high priest takes it in, and when that's happened, the the body of that sacrifice is burned outside the camp. And the priests are not able to eat of what's left of the sacrifice. So normally, with a sin offering, they would eat of that and partake of the, the sacrifice, as it were. So the Levites, as priests, weren't able to do that with the offering. It was taken and burnt outside the camp. And the significance of that is this is pointing to the sacrifice of Jesus. Jesus suffered outside the city walls, you know, where he was crucified. And then therefore let us go to him outside the camp. So embedded within that central ritual of the Torah, of the book of Leviticus, is an offering which illustrates that those offerings can't save because the priest couldn't partake of it. Those offerings are burnt. They're consumed, completely destroyed outside the camp. So embedded right in the middle of this this offering is an indication that these offerings don't work in the way that God ultimately wants them to work and that there will be another sacrifice
0: that will achieve that. And so is it here linking the sacrifice that Christ makes in Hebrews with that goat within Leviticus? Is that what's happening here in Hebrews? Yes, I think so. Yes, it's indicating that that sacrifice,
1: which the Levite priests couldn't partake of was pointing forward to Jesus, that there was something else outside of the Levite priesthood and all their offerings and rituals that was needed in order to really
0: save and heal the relationship between God and, and humans. So obviously that, that would then mean that right at the center of Leviticus, we have Jesus Yeah. In, in a way. Yeah. Beautiful. So where does this leave us then with the question that we we? posed right at the beginning with the end of Exodus. How can humans and God's relationship be be fixed, as it were, and they dwell together? And I think the answer
1: is that it can't be a complete and full relationship while human rebellion is, is not dealt with. And even on the Day of Atonement, so this is the one day when the high priest enters the most holy place where the Ark of the Covenant is, and even when he does that, it describes what he's got to do is put some incense on a sensor and it's got to be burning and create this cloud. So that actually he goes in and he doesn't see the ark. the cloud of it covers the arc. So he can't see it. So even on that day, it's not a full and, and complete kind of coming together. And, and in fact, Hebrews, we looked at Hebrews 13. In Hebrews 9, it comments that this structure describes the tabernacle and the structure is designed to illustrate that the way into the, the most holy place is not yet made manifest. And so I think one of the things we do get from this is that there are all these barriers in place while human behavior and rebellion is not, is not properly dealt with. But despite that, God is still staying with his people in covenant relationship with his people you know he will bless them in their lives he gives them a promise of a peaceful and prosperous
0: mortal life so is is that then the extent of that blessing you know god is only able to bless us in the mortal lives that we have what while that is the sort of outcome of the covenant relationship
1: under the law, one of the things we've seen is that embedded in that law, this system of law, are features which predict its own failure, its own weakness, its own failure to save. And embedded in that law and its structure are pointers that God is working towards a better solution, you know, one that can resolve that human behavior issue. And that's Jesus and the nature of that sacrifice and, and the way it can act on our hearts and our
0: minds to, to change us. Superb. And that's why I think it's important to sometimes read the Old Testament through the lens of the New Testament in order to be able to get that extra nugget of information. Okay. Thank you very much, Paul, for this introduction to Leviticus. Hopefully you're gonna find it a little bit easier to tackle what is quite a challenging and maybe a difficult book to sit down and and wade through and understand what the purpose is as well. And in terms of other resources that we've had, we've had a little bit of a look around in our catalog. Uh, We've not found that much material really, sort of covering uh, Leviticus, but there is a series discovering Jesus and Matthew. And that really emphasizes the importance of of looking at jesus looking at the the gospel records and using old testament and things from the law that even you know jesus used himself so also within the show notes for this podcast we're going to put some visual summary of leviticus there to help you see that that structure that we've been dwelling a little bit on during the podcast today so thank you very much for listening comment on biblefeed.org or on facebook instagram etc and we'll be back soon to cover another book overview. Goodbye.